Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDrivesChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. What a big week for the Blackhawks, in particular, the two cornerstones of the franchise, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Kaylee Chelios and I dive into some of those hot-button topics, and we also sit down with Blackhawks assistant coach Kevin Dean. Coach Dean is in his first season with the Blackhawks. He came over from the Boston Bruins. He also played for the Blackhawks at the end of his NHL career and is in control of the defense for the Hawks this season. He's also a great guy off the ice, and we think his personality will carry through on the show for you today. Of course, we have sellies and chirps to wrap things up, so thanks for dropping by the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. And welcome to the show. I'm Chris Vosters, joined by Kaylee Chelios this week. Kaylee, there's never a dull moment covering the NHL, especially in season, but holy cow, as far as the Blackhawks were concerned, what a week for Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Of course, they are mentioned together seemingly always, but... And, and so maybe it was fitting that on Sunday they were both featured prominently in top headlines, not just for the Blackhawks, but across the NHL, but for two completely different reasons. And the contrast was stark because on the one hand, you had this very somber announcement from Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves where he announced he was still battling issues from his chronic immune syndrome and was going to have to step away from the team to work on his health. And then on the opposite end, you had Patrick Kane deliver a virtuoso performance in the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he had a hat trick in a win over the Leafs in that original six matchup that was sold out, by the way, at the United Center. So, oh my goodness, a lot going on. Pick either Taves or Kane, but what was your takeaway from from the big news involving the Blackhawks legends? So I'll start with the the more encouraging, which would be Patrick Kane scoring a, a hat trick back on home ice after a very long road trip and having just played Toronto. You know, they played Patrick Kane tight. I mean, they were on him in twos and threes, contained him, took away time and space. They were a lot to handle offensively for the for the Blackhawks that game and and played a very well, just a great game Toronto did in their own barn. So to see Patrick came, I mean, if you were sleeping on him at all or you had any question marks as to where his game was, he just very kindly reminded you why he's among one of the best players in the world. I came in this season, and I remember Pat Boyle from NBC Sports Chicago asked me who my big ticket player was, and I had said it's always been Patrick Kane for me. Just the way his deception, he outsmarts everybody, and at you know 34 years old, you know you know what you're getting when he's on the ice, and yet you're never prepared for it. He's just two, three, four steps ahead sometimes compared to everybody. So to see him come back you know, right before the trade deadline and score a hat trick in that fashion, you know, three different goals, Um, you know, credit to Domi too. He had a great game. They've had chemistry throughout the season, but to put on a show like that against the Toronto Maple Leafs was incredibly exciting, impressive. If you're a Blackhawks fan, uh, you know, that's, that's gotta be a game. If you went there that you're going to remember and that stands out to you because it potentially could be his last. We don't know, Uh, or it could have been his last. And, so that to me was really impressive, Chris. Um, I don't. What, what were your thoughts watching Patrick Kane up close and personal this year? That game probably in that moment had to stand out to you for sure. 
Yeah, it was just again, it, you know, in my first year with the organization, you know, I'm I'm learning a ton, and and this just felt like the the vintage Patrick Kane performance, and not just the hat trick, but also on the on the stage that he was on on Sunday night. It's a sellout crowd, over nineteen thousand packing the United Center. It's an original six matchup Sunday night showdown. I mean, it's not just the the pure numbers for Patrick Kane. It's the games in which he delivers these performances, whether it's in matchups like on Sunday or in decisive playoff games, in games that win the organization Stanley Cup. So it, it, you un, it was a great, I guess, window into why he means so much to the fans. And, you know, I, I, I was... I heard people flew into town for this game, you know, and not and not Maple Leafs fans either, but Blackhawks fans from across the United States and even in Canada flew into Chicago for this game to see Patrick Kane. So it never ceases to amaze me the pull that he has on hockey fans, especially Blackhawks fans, of course, but what a performance and and what a night and and he he's he's gotten going lately i mean nine goals in his first 50 games and then over a two game span between the the ottawa senators game and that maple leafs game on sunday he racked up five goals so you just you just never know it's been a tough season for him for a lot of reasons on and off the ice but he still got that it factor and it was really cool to see that on display in the maple leafs game Especially since, too, having just been in Toronto, Toronto media is speculating there's potential for Patrick Kane to join the Leafs, and he quickly sort of put an end to that when asked about it post-game uh, as far as how close that was actually you know, to coming true, which it was not. And so just on top of that, too, adding fuel to the fire, like you, that wasn't going to happen, but here's what you're missing in case it was. And he puts up that kind of performance at this point in the season if you're Toronto. You know, you're not, and this is no disrespect for the Blackhawks, but that's a game where you come in. I know they're still playing a second half to back to back, but like, it, it's a game where you want to at least get a point out of against this team. And the Hawks just great performance, well coached, and it, it wasn't just Kane too. I loved uh, what Cole Gutman did, getting his first NHL goal in that fashion. It's one to remember. Great point on the on the call out for Cole Gutman. Exactly, first career NHL goal. I, I think in a way, though, because Kane and Taves are so intertwined that having Kane put up a hat trick in the way that he did, it, it was made more emotional, I thought, by the news from Jonathan Taves the same day that he was stepping away from the team, still dealing with symptoms of long COVID and chronic immune response syndrome, acknowledging how challenging it's been. For him, physically, of course, but also also mentally to not be able to have his body do the things that he's accustomed to it doing on the ice. And just a, such a, an emotional roller coaster of a day. It kind of blew my mind that both of those things happened in the same 24-hour span. But, Kaylee, I think Kyle Davidson, the Blackhawks general manager, said it best that anything other than Jonathan Taves' health right now is secondary and and just uh, I, I really feel for the guy on a, on a personal note, you know, independent of what he's done for the organization or who he is, you know, just human to human, it, you know, you feel bad for the guy that he's going through something like this. And he means just as much to the organization as Patrick Kane does. And 
certainly wishing him nothing but the best and and not ruling anything out either. Hopefully, hoping that he can still come back and and play in some games before this season ends. Yeah, I'm with you on the the personal level, and I really respect the way Kyle Davidson and the management have handled that whole situation, and you know, humanizing it and putting everything into perspective. His health is the most important thing. So moving forward, like you said, hopefully we do get to see Jonathan Taze come back, but it's, you know, you just feel for him. Like you said, the mental side of it last season, you know, at the end of the season, I remember him saying, this is probably the most challenging season of my career. And at, at times later on, you know, he'd said, I still feel like I have some of the best hockey left in me. So having to fight with that side of it and his body just not being able to be where maybe his mindset is as far as he, where he wants to be in his career at this point. He's given so much to this organization. He's brought so much success, future Hall of Famer, you know, one of the greatest captains. It's just so sad, like you said, to to see him at this point struggling to to find his game and get healthy. That's kind of been the case for him all season is managing this, you know, chronic syn- syndrome that he has, uh, immune syndrome. And battling through that, you know, no, none of us really know what he's going through or what it's like on a day-to-day basis. So it, it is emotional. On one hand, like you said, it was exciting that the Blackhawks put up one of their best performances and Patrick Kane had a historic night um, and one of his best games of the season. And on the other side, it's, it's sad to see that Jonathan Taze couldn't be a part of that. And we'll just have to, it remains to be seen, wait and see um, if he's able to make a healthy return and, you know, who knows? It could take another year before he really starts to feel like himself. It doesn't seem like he's really come back to, you know, his pre-illness form uh, in any way, shape, or form yet. Well, for a lot of reasons, Sunday's game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, one of the signature games of the season for the Blackhawks. And Kaylee, that was something that, that you brought up with our guest on this episode, assistant coach Kevin Dean, who is handling the defense specifically for the Blackhawks. I've really enjoyed getting to know Kevin Dean over the course of this season. He's been really nice, very welcoming, really funny as well. I think his demeanor suits this team very, very well. And it's been fun getting to know members of his family also as they've come through Chicago throughout the course of the season. So I, I just get, I really, I really enjoyed not just the players, but, but the coaching staff as well, Kaylee. And, and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation with Kevin today. Hey, Coach, welcome to the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. It's great to have you. You're such a popular guy. I mean, have you done a lot of podcasts in the past? I don't think I've ever done a podcast. I listen to podcasts, but I've never been a part of a podcast, no. Really? So we're breaking ground here. This is is Coach Kevin Dean's first ever podcast appearance. Well, it's great to have you. How's the season going? You were brought in specifically to, to handle the defense for head coach Luke Richardson, and we're about coming up on, on the two-thirds, three-quarters mark of the season right now. You're first in Chicago. How's everything going? It's been going great. I've really enjoyed the season to this point. I was telling, I don't know, my I went home on Saturday after we got home, saw my parents a bit, and I, uh, I was telling them it's just been really enjoyable. Uh, you know, it's a totally different feel than where I was coming from, but, um, you know, the people here are so great. Um, you know, from Kyle on down to every trainer and doctor, we, you know, are flying with it. You guys, the media, everyone. Um, that's just been a really enjoyable year. You're not living and dying with every win or loss, so uh, you're kind of looking at a bigger picture. It's a different focus, but really enjoyable. Kaylee, we just keep having 
guests with Wisconsin Ties on the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Kevin Dean, a proud native of Madison, Wisconsin. Coach, I grew up in Brookfield. Kaylee's mom is from Wisconsin. Of course, her dad played at the UW. So, I don't know. It's kind of kind of weird how, how this uh, chain of guests keeps, keeps rolling through, Kaylee. Only the best. Only the best make it to the league. That's what I'm understanding. They're all coming from Wisconsin. And Kevin, how is it being closer to home? Uh, Milwaukee, where you grew up, you have four kids, a family. How excited was your family when you got the call from Luke to be able to join the Blackhawks organization? And you played for them back in 99, 2000. Yeah, really excited. Um, you know, like uh, my parents, are, they're from Madison. So, and my, my wife's parents are from Green Bay. So, you know, my wife, uh, we have one daughter who's 17, who's still in high school out in Boston area. So. My wife's coming out. She's been great. She's come out, I think, eight or nine times already. So she's coming out a lot. And when she does come home, she gets to go see her parents. I get to go see my parents on days off, uh, you know, probably once or twice a month. So it's been a really good fit as they get older to go and see them and help them out and uh, take down their Christmas decorations, whatever it is. So that's been great. My family, they love, We, you know, we spend a week or, or probably two or three weeks in Wisconsin every summer. Um, so they, my kids are kind of ensconced there too, and they, they love the fact that I'm here. They're close to their cousins and grandparents, so it's, it's, a, it's a good fit. I, I, you know, one, one thing that we like to ask people on the podcast, coaches, is their favorite Chicago restaurant. I don't think I need to ask you that. I think I already know. It, it's got to be Club Lucky, right? I, I ran into you there <laughs> with, with your wife, Jill, a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. It's one of my favorite restaurants in Chicago. But is Club Lucky number one? I don't know if it's number one. It's probably my favorite Italian place at this okay. point. Uh, I haven't been to a ton of Italian places. I love, uh, well, speaking of Italian, uh, Italian a pizzeria, uh, oh, what's it called? It's down there on the river. Pizzeria Uno? Pizza. No, no, uh, I'll think of it. Uh, that place is real good. It's right in the river, right by RPM Seafood. And then uh, Smith & Walensky for steak, I like. Okay. Uh, so I, steak's kind of my go-to favorite, so uh, uh it's, uh, I kind of tilt that way just a little bit. But I got uh, the pizzeria. Uh, I can't pizza, pizza Portofino? Portofino, that's, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, love that place. So I can walk to those places, so I love it. Well, shout out to our, our producer, Trevor Bray, for, for the call out there. And, yeah. and, and Coach, Trevor Trevor knows her, her pizzerias in Chicago, so she helped us <laughs> uh, helped us out with that one there. Yeah. Uh, listen, you had, a, you had a long run in Boston as, as a coach on, on their staff for many years. How did, how did this opportunity come about in Chicago? I mean, when, when did you realize that, that uh, this was an opportunity for you? Well, I got let go in Boston, uh, you know, not long after we got eliminated from the playoffs. So I immediately started doing some homework and who was going to be looking for some coaches. I was making my calls and uh, someone, I don't know who it was, said, well, we think Luke's got a leg up in, in Chicago, uh, not going to be announced for a couple of weeks. So as soon as it was announced, I called Luke and he seemed very interested out of the gate. Um, and as I was, just because I've heard, I never met Luke, but I, you know, heard terrific things about him, uh, which have all been true. And, you know, like I said, the geographical location, you know, with Madison and my wife in Green Bay, it's, it's, it was a perfect fit. And I was really excited when things started to develop there. Kevin, you've been a part of two very cool, you know, franchises so far, but coaching the Blackhawks this season in a rebuild, uh, how much of what you taught your philosophies with, 
what you did in Providence and with Boston and the Bruin kind of translated to being in a rebuild and being in this situation with the Hawks? Because Lucas said, you know, it's not necessarily a young team. It's just a new team. So you're dealing with players who are at a lot of different stages in their careers and not necessarily young prospects the way you could develop like a Charlie McAvoy or a, yeah. or a Brandon Carlos. So what transitioned well and what did you learn coming to the Hawks this season? Well, I think, you know, my time in Boston, I, I think what I what really kind of strikes me is I think you, you, you take a player, any player's got strengths, that's why they're in the NHL. And I think you have to make sure that they continue to play to those strengths, you know. Ian Mitchell is a good puck mover. Like Ian Mitchell has to move pucks to play in the league, uh, you know, to be effective, right? And, you know, Jake McCabe's hard to play against. He's, you know, he's prickly and he's a good defender. So he has to continue to do that. And same with Connor Murphy, right? But, you know, then you try to kind of supplement whatever each, each player is missing and you try to, you know, just chip away at, you know, what their weaknesses are. So they're doing what they're doing well and they continue to do that, do that well. But then you, you hopefully improve on what, you know, the few things that they're not great at. And then so hopefully, you know, you develop into a complete player. Um, that being said, like you said, the, you know, we're not a real young group back there in the back end. So that is a little bit complicated. Um, you know, Jack Johnson's learning curve isn't going to be the same as Ian Mitchell's or Isaac Phillips, right? So, you know, I know that. And so I probably do spend a little more time with Isaac and Ian because I think they have more certainly not room to grow but you know like they're earlier in their career so they're going to be a little bit more receptive i think and it's a little easier to change so focus a little bit more on the younger kids and then you know in the next few years when these kids start to to roll through here i think it's going to be uh you know more work than this year because they are going to be younger group i think as you know the years come up here and just really focusing on the details becoming a good pro uh, how important practice is um, stick position angles it's all you know cumulative but you know just chip away because you know we're not trying to build Rome in a day but you know it's a process and it's going to take years and you know these kids come in at 20 19 20 years old whatever it is that you know hopefully by the time they're 23 24 they're really good players and that starts from day one what's the biggest key to improvement in as an NHL player I, I mean you, you talk about how a player who's 30 is not quite as malleable as, as a player who's 21 or 22 or, you know, in the age range of an Isaac Phillips or, or an Ian Mitchell. So when, when you've got a guy who comes in that's, that's a little more moldable, what does he need to do to, to make sure that he can stay in the, in the NHL? Well, I think what I touched on before is continue to do what got you there. You know, so that's the first thing. And then I think practice. I think becoming a good pro is... Some kids are a little more ingrained with it, a little more in tune with it. Other kids are, you know, oh, I party a little bit more. I'm coming from a college atmosphere, whatever it might be. Um, they need to understand what, you know, how difficult it is to be a good pro. There's nutrition, there's rest, there's hydration, practice habits. That all is cumulative, right? So they need to, I think, you need to impress upon, you know, listen, we're only going to practice for 45 minutes. Let's not spend the first 20 minutes warming up because, ha you know, you've lost half your practice, right? So, you know, maybe you get in the gym get on the bike for 10 minutes before practice, you hit the ice at practice, you're ready to roll. Now you're, you know, you're not wasting any time warming up, you're ready to go. I think that's a big part of it. I think understanding um, your identity as a player is important and not that you're going to be pigeonholed into, um, you know, being a, you know, Isaac Phillips, a good example. He's kind of a steady stay-at-home defenseman now. He doesn't need to be in five years, but to, to play every night, he's going to have to at least be reliable to stay in the lineup, right? And he, and he has been. He was when he played. So, um, 
you know, and then from there he can grow his game into maybe a little bit more offensive flair down again. So there's some tricks to staying in the lineup, but I think it's, you know, you know, having an identity that you can relate to that the team needs and then continue to develop every day through practice and good habits and understanding what it takes to be a pro. How do you keep the room so positive? It seems like the team, you know, night in, night out, wins, losses. They're always playing to the final seconds. As a coaching staff, how, how often are you concentrated on making sure that it's still a great day to be in the NHL, come to the rink? What sort of things do you guys do as a staff to keep the group engaged and kind of give some perspective when things get tough during the dog days? Well, I think it's a good question. I think it starts with Luke. I think Luke's very calm. He's very positive. Um, he, set a, he sets a really good tone every day. He doesn't um, get too anxious or excited when things aren't going well. So I think that's a, he's a good, steady influence there. Um, and I think players do understand the situation a little bit. And I think, you know, myself, Derek Plant, Derek King, Luke, uh, Jimmy, we're all pretty similar. I mean, you guys know us a little bit. I don't think any of us are, you know, snap shows. We're all pretty positive on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think the players understand that and there's no one breathing down their neck all the time. Sure, there's some accountability for sure, but it's it's not from a negative point of view. And I think the players appreciate that and they're playing, you know, whether we're good enough on certain nights, I don't know. Obviously, you're not. No one is in the NHL. But uh, I think for the most part, guys, you know, I really hand it to their, their team and the leaders. They're not quitting. They're playing hard every night. And, uh, you know, I, I do see growth in our team from from October for sure. Just on that, where does the win against Toronto, Patrick Kane's hat trick, rank this season for you guys? And I mean, it could be easy to get down on yourself sometimes and the wins aren't coming, but where does that win rank and how exciting it was, the Madhouse, for you as a coach in your first year here? It's probably, honestly, it might be the top top win for me. Um, the win in New York was great. Uh, I thought the wins out in the or the win against the Anaheim with all the dads was great. Tenorti scoring a couple goals, but last night, you know, and, and I haven't been around Patrick Kane that much, but I certainly am aware of how terrific of, of a player he is. To see him perform like that last night in front of a big crowd, as the deadline gets close against Toronto, you know, scored three goals in a row for us. It was it was special, um, you know, and. He's a pretty, you guys know him, he's, he, you know, he's not a real loud guy, he's a quiet leader. Uh, so you know, when you see him have those kind of nights, it's, it's kind of fun to just step back and watch it happen. Defenseman scoring goals, coach. We, we certainly love it. You mentioned the, the two goals that Jared Tenorti had in, in Anaheim. That was great. Does that, does that give you, uh, you know, do you, do you throw your chest out a little bit among the rest of the coaches when the, when the defenseman put a few in? <laughs> no, I don't know if I do that. I'm happy for those guys because I think we got a group of defensemen that really uh, care about defense and defense first. And so when they can get a goal, I think it's great. Um, you know, Seth got hot there for a little bit last, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, Tenorti when he scored those goals. I love it when the D score. Connor Murphy last night, on, I think it was Kane's third goal. He got up, had a good look from the slot, kind of got hooked. But the fact that he got up, uh, I, I, you know, th this day and age in the NHL, it's important that defensemen are part of the uh, attack. And, uh, you know, they're continuing to get up. We had a burp, I think, uh, you know, maybe in Montreal or something. We had a, you know, D get caught a couple times. But overall, our D are trying to get involved in the offense, which is, you know, sometimes it's clunky, but they're doing a good job. They're getting up, they're contributing to you know, get points. Uh, Jake McCabe's having a pretty good year point-wise. He's, you know, scruffed out a couple points in Ottawa. That was a good win. Um, you know, good play at the end of the game to step on the guy. So I, I, I get excited when the guys score just for them more than I don't, you know, I don't stick my chest out, so to speak. But 
Kinger's always Kinger, you know, every period, let's get the D going, the D stink. You know, he's just kidding. He says it, but, so when they do score, he looks down at me and just kind of smiles. So it's, it's fun. Well, and that was a total, total question and jest as well. And you, and you handled it very well. Uh, looking, looking at your career in the NHL, you played over 330 games. Ultimately, a heart condition forced you to, to step away from the playing side of the game. Did, did your exit as a player influence your decision to get into coaching in any way? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I never thought of it that way. It probably did because I, I, quite honestly, I think I was probably done in the NHL. I was kind of a sixth, seventh defenseman anyways, and my heart flared up, and I was 31 years old at the time. So I was probably done in the NHL. I maybe could have got a couple call-ups. Um, but then my heart did flare up and it was, you know, it was kind of more of an annoyance than a real threat. Um, so I think I, I ended up probably quitting hockey two or three years before I wanted to. And because of that, I think I had some passion to coach and I made some calls. Didn't happen for a few years. And then I got a call from, uh, Lou Lamarillo in, uh, <laughs> in the coaches in the dark, in, uh, New Jersey. The lights went out. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think it did because I ultimately probably did affect it because I you know I think I ended up retiring a couple of years before I really wanted to. Towards the end of your career, you played for the Blackhawks. What stands out to you about your time as a Hawk then and a, and a player at that time that you remember you think of now in your role as a coach? Well, it's pretty similar to the situation we're going through right now. We weren't very good. We. Um, uh, I got traded here, and we had a little bump at the deadline because they moved some guys out, moved some guys in, and I think just there's a little more energy. Played all right. The next year was a tough year. And um, so it's a little bit similar to this, and I liken it the next year, two or three years after I left, they drafted, you know, I think Keith, Taves, and Kane. And, you know, look what happened, right? So that was kind of the start of it. So. I kind of look back and think of that. I always remember the city. Like even then, the crowds were good in Chicago. Great place to play. It's, a, it's the best sports town in the world, I think, when when they got some good teams, and uh, even when they don't. So that's a real credit to the fans here, and it makes it a fun place to play and a fun place to live. Coach, we had Sam Lafferty on the Blackhawks Insider Podcast earlier this season, and we were talking about his abilities as a golfer. And, uh, you know, quite, quite frankly, Sam told us after the show that we could have turned the entire episode into, into a golf podcast if we wanted. He's that passionate about the sport. You went to the University of New Hampshire, and from what I understand, you had to make a choice between hockey or golf as well. Are, are you, have you kept up on your, on your game at the links? Not really, no. Uh, <laughs> I kind of lost my passion for golf. I don't know if I had a, a choice. I was a... I, mean, I was a pretty good golfer. I, if I would have really committed to golf, I might have been able to play, you know, after college. But I certainly would have been starting in, in the in the mini tours and probably the lower mini tours, to be honest with you. But uh, I had some talent at golf. I did not have the temperament for it. I, I was a, a completely snap show, and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't process bad shots, like how I could hit one good and the next shot bad. Like it just didn't resonate with me at all. So I just. I would snap and I'd just completely lose it. So I did not have the mentality to play uh, to play professional golf, but I enjoyed it. I did go to UNH, played there on the golf team for four years. Uh, incidentally, one of our one of my teammates, who was like third or fourth guy on our team, ended up playing the Masters one year. He turned into a real good player, and we were not a good team. Um, 
just, you know, New Hampshire, as you can imagine, is not a great golf team. But our number three guy for most of my four years ended up playing in the Masters, believe it or not. So I always say that. Uh, we must not have been too bad. But uh, I enjoy the game. I just haven't played a lot for having four kids. Um, and like I said, my my nature and my disposition is to get frustrated out there. So uh, I kinda, it kind of got away from me the last five or ten years. Does the movie Happy Gilmore have a, a particular resonance with you? Well, I'd like to watch it, but it doesn't resonate with me anyway, but I do enjoy it. It's, it's a good movie to watch. Um, you know, Adam Sandler's always always entertaining. Would you, would you if if you had to pick a favorite sports movie, what would it be? Oh, boy, probably uh, Bull Durham, I think. Okay. Slapshot. Interesting. I, mean, I, I love Slapshot. <laughs> the more you watch it, you pick up something every every time. Yes. It's a little different that you, you kind of clue into, like, oh, that's pretty clever uh, but did you, probably, did you, you know, let your time. kids watch slap shot yeah i watched it last uh, summer with my 18 year old charlie and he uh he and i were laughing so i was gonna say it was because it was rated r i was not allowed to watch it until i was an older <laughs> teenager yeah it's pretty clean though isn't it compared to nowadays what they're making oh yeah but, oh yeah um yeah it's great it's a great movie Interesting to hear you throw Bull Durham in there, though. That's that's a, an ultimate classic, but a baseball movie. You know, I, I was thinking we'd get get hockey or golf, and you did mention Slapshot, but Bull Durham's a classic too. Is there any hockey movies other? I mean, there's uh, oh, the one with Rob Mighty Lowe, Ducks. Ever, you know, yeah, Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I even ever saw that. To be honest with you. Oh, and, you know, there's Miracle. Film. You got to do some film. Miracle's good. Yeah, Mir yeah. Miracle's good. Well, and, and Kelly might appreciate this. So I grew up in Madison, and I literally, and Bruce Cassidy, when I worked with him the last 10 years, thought I was the biggest idiot in the world because I did not grow up watching any pro hockey. Like, we did not get any pro hockey in Madison. Blackhawks weren't on. We didn't have cable growing up. Um, so I thought the University of Wisconsin and Chris Chelios and those guys were the, the best hockey players in the world. Nice. And it turns out some of them were, like Chris and those guys. So I would go to these games, and I thought that was the ultimate – pinnacle you could get to in hockey I didn't even even when I went to high school I hardly knew about the NHL I'd see a couple of games on USA started putting games but I would just I just like to play I never really watched it and like Butch would say oh, well you know who's this guy or this guy I'm like I've never heard of that guy you know he's, like, well, he's a hall of famer you know played probably you know retired three years before I started playing I didn't even hear I've never even heard of him you know so it's amazing you went to the NHL but I can say and I know Chris can say too there's a special place in my dad's heart for Madison Badger hockey and that entire experience for him at that time growing up and before NCAA rules and how cool it really was like playing for to be a badger and to have that kind of dynamic with the city the community and wisconsin such a fun place to to be around yeah. if you're a sports fan and they were so good for my whole it seemed like the time i was about eight to time i went away to high school they were like top five every year so it was just fun environment to go to a game great players they're you know they would go on you'd know they were playing the nhl but it was it was just a great environment to be around like you said is is there a rivalry between University of New Hampshire and Vermont? You know, just bordering states. Is that is that is there bad blood there? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know if it's bad blood. I think there used to be when the teams were better. I think the teams now are kind of down. I think you know, in order to have a rivalry, you know, someone's got to be good, right? And, and those teams have been down for a while. Like maybe when Sharpie was there, I bet you UNH was pretty good. Because um, they did get good for a while in the mid to late 90s. I don't know what years he was there. Um, 
But I think lately, I think UNH and Vermont are just trying to keep their heads above water. So I don't think they're too worried about each other as much, but Vermont's a beautiful place and it's a great school. It's a great campus. It's a lot, they're very similar schools, the way they look when you're on campus and you walk around, they're, they're kind of in the, a lot of woods around and beautiful places, but I don't know if there's a bad blood there though. I've got, uh, I've got it here. Sharpie at the U of Vermont, 2000 to 2002. I, I, I tell you what, talking to, talking to Patrick Sharp, I mean, you'd never guess that Vermont was maybe uh, below the waterline a little bit as a hockey program. I mean, the way he sells that school, he's like their number one recruiter or something like that. So but uh, yeah, I was just fishing for any kind of any kind of nuggets that we can surprise Sharpie with on on the broadcast. But but thank you, Coach. We appreciate it. Uh, listen, I'm a I'm an avid Toyota Camry owner and driver, and uh, I, I I got the hybrid. <laughs> and, I, and I hear yeah. I, I hear you're a Camry owner as well. But uh, yours has got some mileage on it, right? Yeah, I don't know how I, I'm thinking. It's getting close to two hundred thousand. I don't wow. know. I should. It's probably on there. I haven't looked. Um, but yeah, my dad, my mom and dad, they're in their eighties. They have a two car garage. And I guess every time they want to take the trash out, they have to move one of the cars out because you can't get the trash can by the back of the car. Right. Which I understand. And like I said, they're 84. My dad had a fall a couple of years ago, so they have a hell of a time doing it. It takes probably 15 minutes to, you know, get in the car, move it back, move the trash out. With the there's snow back. outside yeah, you know, it's, pain. Yeah. yeah right so he he calls me and he's kind of sheepishly he's like would you mind driving my car and i have a suburban so i don't want to drive a suburban in chicago right i'm like absolutely so i've been driving that car in the summer for years it's a great little car it zips around it's in good shape um the only problem is I, I think it's it's getting so old that the lights like the headlights the plastic is like tinted yellow, so I don't know. I'm gonna get pulled over before too long because the cops are like your lights aren't on. But it's been a great. It's been. It's worked out well for my parents and me. What What year is it? Did you say? I think it's an 05. An 05? Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My I I grew up. It's hilarious. I grew up in a in a family of Camrys. Uh, my my parents always had one. Just like lying around basically and uh so it was the first car that i bought as well and i'd love to get two hundred thousand on it that's the yeah, that's yeah. what you get with a camera you get a long shelf life yeah. but uh, it's it's a great little car it's it's right and it's inexpensive to fix for the most part right so um, all right well if you see the if you see the 05 camry on the streets of chicago give it, give it a beat. <laughs> it's probably kevin dean yeah it's good it's a good car. Kevin, on that, do you remember, just quickly, I want to do a speed round with you and get to know you a little bit better in the coaching staff, but do you remember what your first big purchase was getting into the league for the first time? A lot of guys, it's a car, and I, I thought maybe this Camry came from all the way back then, but if not, what was your first big-time purchase that you were proud of? I, I bought a watch. I bought a, a watch that I had my eye on, um, a couple guys that I had been playing with. So when I made the team, got called up my first year next year, I made the team out of training camp and I bought myself a nice watch. Oh, good so for you. That's that was, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I hope you didn't still lose have it. Still have it? Good. No, I still have it. still works. I don't know if it fits on my arm anymore. But, uh, <laughs> I'll have to try it. I haven't worn it. No one wears watches anymore because we all have phones now, right? So True. Point. Point. Yeah. Especially younger guys. Yeah. I remember when they've tried to look at, uh, you know, the time for the bus. And if there's an analog clock in a locker room, it takes them an extra 15, 20 seconds to figure out how much I believe time. that. 
I believe that. All right, Kevin, <laughs> speed round. We have about six or seven questions that we want to get through just to get to know you a little bit better and the coaching staff. So you guys are all new. You seem like a close group. I'm going to start with number one. Who's the funniest? Derek King. Now he, he's and funnier, funnier than you. I, I, I was gonna say. I mean, it's uh, you guys both have a good sense of humor, but that you quickly mentioned Kinger as the funniest. Huh? Yes, yeah, All no right. question. You're not talking looks, right? You're just talking. Not the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, okay. I guess the best one-liners might have been a better way to put that. Yeah, he's got a lot of them. He's got the a lot Kinger. of them. Okay, the chattiest. Um, I would think if you asked everybody, they'd probably say me. <laughs> I've heard that but, before. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh no. In a good right, I gotta tone it down. I gotta tone it down. I know nothing. <laughs> Most caffeinated. Uh probably Kinger. Derek Kinger. Really? Again. Okay. Yep. Yep. Earliest riser? Luke. Luke. Luke Luke, he I think there's a lot of guys get up early. All these guys that live in the suburbs. Uh, you know, Matt Meacham and Adam Gill and Derek Plant, Derek King, they all get up early and commute in. Um, but I'll give it to Luke because he's actually getting off the bike by about seven in the morning or getting done with his workout. So whether you're in a car or working out, I think there's, there, you need to tilt towards the workout. So he gets that one. Good for him. Okay, best music playlist. Derek King. What's on it? <laughs> it's a lot of, uh, like, I like, like what I like is 70s kind of rock, the Stones, Marshall Tucker, stuff like that. Zeppelin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Least tech savvy? Probably Luke. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Any good yeah. stories on that? Um, I don't that I, I don't know any stories. I just, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's actually pretty tech savvy. Uh -huh. I think the whole group is pretty tech savvy. Yeah. But I'd say he's probably the least. So, so he, he's not the guy handing the tablet to, you know, the players when they come off the bench, put it that way. No. And he's, <laughs> and he, and he doesn't ask them, you know, Matt and Adam a lot for help, but probably a little bit more than the other guys, but <laughs> that just makes sense. Yes. Well, thanks, Coach. We Listen, we really appreciate the time and, and for uh, going along with us like this. It's been, just to echo kind of what we said at the at the top of the show, it, it's been great for us, Kaylee and I, and, and Colby as well, being around this team. We've really enjoyed the, the vibe that the coaching staff has set down. You're super easy to be around and super great to us on the broadcast side as well. So thanks for coming on the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. You've got an open invite to come back anytime you want. we got to get your podcast reps up, Coach. But <laughs> yeah, first one Thanks ever, a lot. So. Thanks well, a lot we for feel the same. Uh, thank you, and we, we feel the same with you guys. You guys you know, are, are easy to be around, easy to work with. Look forward to traveling with you guys, and see you tomorrow night. All right, our thanks once again to assistant coach Kevin Dean, and let's get into Sellies and Chirps. Just a quick one today with just me and Kaylee on the horn with you, but I'll start, Kaylee, and last weekend was the NBA All-Star Game in Salt Lake City, Utah, and LeBron James, of course, recently became the NBA's all-time leading scorer and performed at the All-Star Game as well and was asked post-game about sort of along the lines of post-playing career, interests after he stops playing, would he like to be an owner someday, and of an NBA team, that is. And he responded that he would love to be an owner of an NBA team someday and bring 
a championship to another city as an owner, the way he has as a player. And he specifically mentioned the city of Las Vegas as a destination for an NBA team and an NBA team that he would like to own. NBA commissioner Adam Silver has mentioned expansion into Las Vegas, back to Seattle. So there's a bit of a buzz going on around the NBA coming to Las Vegas and joining the NFL and uh, the NHL, of course. So LeBron is mentioning that Vegas is a good sports city and mentioned the Las Vegas Aces, uh, the WNBA team, the Raiders. And then he mentioned the hockey team in, in Vegas as well and the winning track record that they had. And then he went on to say the name of the hockey team in Vegas, which he called the Kings. <laughs> now, wait a second. <laughs> the Kings are the hockey team in Los Angeles. The Golden Knights play in Vegas. And, and, and so you could tell, like, wheels were spinning a little bit. He wasn't sure, wait, are they, are they the Vegas Kings? And so he kind of asked the reporters in, in a weird role reversal, hey, like, is it, are they the Kings? And then someone said, no, they're actually the Golden Knights. And then he said, oh, yeah, that's right, the Golden Knights. And then a pause. The Kings are in L.A., right? He said. And it's like, dude, the Kings play in the same arena you play in with the Lakers. They play in formerly the Staples Center, now Crypto.com Arena. It's like there are banners hanging for Wayne Gretzky (laughs) and the Kings in Crypto.com Arena. How are you even uncertain that the Kings are L.A.'s team? I mean, it it was pretty wild. So... Selly or Chirp, I mean, at least he knew there was a hockey team in Vegas. He knows that they're successful. That's why the NBA wants to get in on the Vegas fun. But, bro, how do you not know about the Kings playing in your own building? I think it just, I think it all went downhill when he got tripped up about the Vegas Golden Knights, which, like, in, in fairness, they're the Vegas Golden Knights, not like the, not the Knights. Like, people make mistakes on their name quite a bit. So maybe it just, it, it just put him on a, a rough road to have success. But I'm totally chirping that. That is so offensive. <laughs> the King doesn't know the Kings play, you know, like in the same arena. So it's hard to imagine that that slipped his mind while he got confused about Vegas. So I'm definitely chirping that. Like, I think I know Kaner has mentioned that LeBron is a player who he really respects and, you know, admires from one athlete to another. I think he needs to have a little one-on-one with Kaner on the history surrounding the LA Kings versus the Vegas Golden Knights. And I'm I'm definitely chirping that. I I think that's crazy that that happened, but maybe he just got caught off guard, all the lights and the cameras, but I don't think so. Trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but that just seems like a crazy mistake to make publicly. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we all live in our own bubble, right? But, I mean, come on. I like, know. I'm trying to think of, like, any faux pas I've had that were similar <laughs> and equally embarrassing. But I, I don't think that I could make that mistake. But who knows? <laughs> and then to cap it off, he, he, he said, well, there are two kings in, in L.A., referring to his nickname, King James. So the L.A. kings had no choice but to have fun with it on social media. And they tweeted out, quote, some roommates forget to do the dishes. Some roommates forget to take out the trash. Others forget you live there. That is good. Okay, they're even then. That is a good one. Good on the social media person for the Kings. They deserve sure. a raise for that one. That's hilarious. Big chirp what for do the Kings. Um, I got, what do you got, Kaylee? I got in honor of Patrick Kane, you know, doing the hat trick against the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
uh, and an exciting game. Uh, I think it like it's even more interesting to think about now because it was like Patrick Kane and somebody who means a lot to Chicago and Blackhawks fans. If there's a hat trick in a game, do you throw your hat onto the ice? Are you celebrating or are you chirping? You know that because I personally am not a huge hat wearer, but if I had a nice hat, I don't think I would throw it. I've never thrown it, but I don't wear hats to the game. So it's kind of a hard question for me to answer. But Chris, I know you wear hats. You're a big hat guy. Are yeah. you celebrating? Or are you are you chirping the tradition of throwing your hat onto the ice after a hat trick, especially one from a future Hall of Famer and somebody who I, you know is Patrick Kane? I celebrate the gesture. I think it. I think it's really cool. I think it looks cool when you see the replays on TV of all the hats being thrown on the ice. Um, I don't think. And, and you're right. I do wear hats a lot. I think for me personally, it would be a decision made in the moment as to whether or not I I threw my hat onto the ice in a in a situation <laughs> like that. Um, it would also depend on where I was sitting. I mean, I'm only throwing it if I know it's going to land on the ice. If I'm up in the 300 level, I'm probably keeping my lid. Um, I don't have a hat that if I threw it onto the ice in a moment of euphoria, I would miss. You know, I, like I, I love my hats, but I could I, I could just easily replace it, I suppose. But I also, on on the other side of this conversation, I don't think it should be incumbent I don't think there should be any external pressure on you to throw your hat in a situation like that listen if, if you want to throw your hat go for it if you don't that's okay too well you answered both my follow-ups there I was going to ask like if you <laughs> thought you could reach the ice depending on where your seats were with your hat and then two I, I I would have thought maybe you had a special hat so I was going to ask you what would it take for you to throw it but I'm kind of like you where I, I don't really have a special relationship to any of the hats that I would wear to a game or a sporting event. So glad we're both on the same page here, Chris. Definitely. And, and I, you know, I, my favorite hats right now are, are my Blackhawks fitted hats just with the logo and the, and the flat brim. So, you know, fortunately there's a, there's a good supply in the team store. I guess it would, you know, set me back like 30, 40 bucks or whatever. But again, <laughs> it, it would, it would be worth it if, you know, I'm at, a Patrick Kane hat trick game. I mean, I, I think that would be, that would be worth it. But again, you know, you gotta, you gotta really make sure that cause hats are hard to throw. I mean, you know, they, <laughs> they catch air and maybe don't go as far as you think. So you just gotta, you gotta make sure you know what you're doing in a, in a situation like that. So great discussion point as always, Kaylee. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Back <laughs> at you. <laughs> That's all we got for you today on this episode of the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Our thanks, as always, to Brad Dollar and Southside Jake for the music featured on this podcast. Trevor Bray and Jenna Rose, our producers behind the scenes, do such a great job editing this podcast into a watchable format for you to enjoy or listen to. Again, more content always available at Blackhawks.com. Never a dull moment around this organization and covering the NHL. We'll be back next week for another riveting episode of the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. For Kaylee, I'm Chris. Thanks for tuning in.